Welcome to the Data Dive Podcast, a podcast where we share the stories of real-world data-driven applications in various industries, hear how some of the most innovative companies are being built, and much more. I'm your host, Abraham Cherian, the founder of Data Dive, an international youth-driven organization focused on developing data literacy among the next generation. Today, I'm excited to welcome on Benjamin Rogojan to the podcast. Ben graduated from the University of Washington before working as a data engineer for Health Entic and then Facebook. In 2016, Ben started doing data science and data engineering consulting work and now pursues that full-time with Seattle Data Guy. Ben, welcome to the Data Dive podcast. I'm so glad to have you on. Yeah, no, I'm glad to jump on, Abraham. Thanks for having me on. Tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to pursue a data science career. Uh, yeah, I think like, honestly, if you want to go far enough back, I think it, it probably started with the show Numbers. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's one of those kind of like a classic buddy cop style shows where you've got one character who was like the smart mathematician and one who was like the cop and the mathematician would always use math to basically figure out, you know, something about the suspect they were, they were trailing. And they'd always use some sort of, you know, mathematical reasoning or, or statistics to basically prove like, Oh, this is how we're going to find someone. And I think that was fascinating. And that I think like started the spark. And then I think, you know, going to school, I took a lot of computer science courses and then I, I started taking classes in like epidemiology and I was like, okay, I'd, I'd really like to figure out how to use these two together. And I started learning about R and things like that. And I think at that point, maybe the 2012 article for like the Harvard's uh, sexiest job came out. It's somewhere around there. And so I read that and you know, I think I think all that kind of just pushed me into that direction of, of, of wanting to see what data science was like and kind of, you know, um, what kind of careers were, were in this area. Yeah. So how much math and computer science did you learn in college and what were the skills you needed to know for data science or data engineering roles? And was those skills learned more outside the classroom or did you feel like college really helped with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, college, I kind of built my foundation on, you know, computer science for sure, got got through a couple of the intro courses, as well as some more of like application based courses. Math wise, I, I actually didn't do much beyond calculus since I was um, an information systems grad versus like, you know, pure comp sci. But a lot of a lot of what I learned, I think was outside of, you know, college, everything from data engineering in itself. I don't know how much you know about data engineering, but uh, right, like a, a lot of what I learned was just piecing together things over time, right? Like first learning about things like data warehousing, learning about pipelines, learning about distributed systems, and kind of just putting all those pieces together over a longer period of time. Um, and then starting to realize it was part of a bigger framework and, and kind of what where that framework fit. Um, but none of that, I think, was taught in, in classes. I think when I looked back, I think maybe I saw some master's degrees in information systems that had some stuff um, around, you know, distributed computing and things of that nature. But I don't think there were any courses at that time. And there might be now that that were focused on those kind of concepts. So besides basic computer science um, knowledge, I don't think a lot of it was picked up in college. So did you find it kind of difficult to learn it afterwards? Or did you feel like you've always kind of been like an independent learner? So it wasn't anything like particularly challenging? 
Um, I, I don't think it was difficult. Uh, you know, I think, I think, you know, with, with the internet, with everything, you know, there's, there's a ton of resources, you know, um, books and, and so forth. And so I think through a combination of like just work, like, you know, um, and, you know, learning outside of work and then also having that foundation already in like databases and basic uh, programming was enough to kind of give you, um, the foundation to build off of. I think that's, often what college is good for, right? Like it, it gives you the foundation, but oftentimes the practical side of things don't come until you start applying it. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, that a lot of that was pretty easy to pick up. I think starting to get the bigger picture was the harder part, like starting to realize how it all fit in in terms of like this larger concept. Like I remember, I think even two or three years after college, like not really realizing that data engineering in itself was a role and just realizing that I had SQL skills, I had some Python skills, you know, I programmed in Java, um, I kind of understood automation, understood data warehousing, but I didn't really necessarily see how it all kind of fit so I think that was kind of something that, that took a little more time for me to like fully grasp. But other than that, I think like the individual skills themselves were pretty, pretty straightforward to pick up. Could you talk a little bit about your first data engineering role, which was at Health Entic, and what areas you specifically worked on in applying data or data-driven techniques uh, in the healthcare space? Yeah, so um, Healthentic basically is a healthcare analytics company. Um, basically, they aggregate healthcare claims data from, I think it was like, maybe 30 different insurance providers, and then they standardize it and then create reports and then kind of give them back to the initial people who've asked for them. So basically like, let's say Amazon might want to have some analysis done on their employees. Um, claims data can be sent to third-party analytics companies, even through HIPAA to kind of be, kind of to aggregate that data and then do analytics on it. So we basically would automate all of that. We'd like, you know, get all that data from third-party vendors kind of consolidate it all into a single kind of like data warehouse. Um, and then from there, build products off of it. Uh, what's really important there is, right, like claims data is somewhat standardized. Like they have to kind of send it to um, Medicare and different government bodies. So they do have to send that there. Um, so it's somewhat standardized, but it's not perfect. So you do have to do a few steps in order to make your data match one-to-one. So that if you get data from Aetna versus like Blue Cross Blue Shield, it's all going to match the same, right? Like your, your all your fields are going to represent the same thing. So that's kind of a big portion of the work um, after that, right? Like building the analytics, which was honestly a combination of kind of like having, we had a statistician, so she did a ton of research and then kind of taking some commonly used like metrics and KPIs for everything from dental to general healthcare um, practices, and then kind of figuring out how to like model that as well as how to um, visualize that uh, just to kind of sell back to consumers. And so that, that's kind of what we did. We basically just kind of repackaged this data, you know, found the insights and then re- resold it back. Because I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of the, the goal, right? Like you take these billions of rows and just turn it into, you know, a few images or a number or something that's like very understandable from a human perspective. Um, so you can kind of, con- you know, consolidate a ton of information into just, you know, a few pictures. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you manage to deal with medical data? And how did you work to eliminate as much bias as possible? As medical data in specific can be pretty nuanced and challenging to deal with. Sure. I mean, I I think in this case, it was pretty standard analytics. So I I wouldn't say there was a huge amount of bias. And and we were also doing a, a, like, it was very highly aggregated data, right? Like we, since you're sending this back to, you know, other people to look at, you don't want to break it down too much, right? Like you, you don't want to risk like uniquely identifying someone, even when you don't mean to uniquely identify someone, you know, if, if there's only one type of a person that exists in a population and then you reference that information and, and tie them down to that exact 
you know, whatever breakdown um, that can be too specific. So I, I think for us, we working in high aggregates is kind of what you're limited to um, because again, you don't want to call out someone and then thus break HIPAA. Um, you, you want to keep it as highly aggregated and anonymous as possible. Could you talk about your role as a data engineer at Facebook and your experience with the interview process that helped you uh, land the role? Uh, yeah, for sure. So in terms of, I guess I'll, I'll go interview first since that's kind of how we get started. Yeah, uh, the interview process at Facebook, I think um, it's, it's pretty standard, right? Like you'll do a phone screen interview, generally 30 minutes of SQL, 30 minutes of coding. Um, and then afterwards, if you pass that, you will do your kind of standard it's like four or five round interviews. It's, um, I think it's like one round of one or two rounds of like SQL plus like some data warehouse design, um, one like coding ish round, uh, one ownership round and, and things of that nature. It's pretty standard in that regard. Um, I, I usually tell people, you know, be, be ready with SQL, um, and data warehouse design. And then Python wise, uh, for Facebook, I often say like, if you're decent operationally, so if you can kind of write Python to general functionality, that's usually sufficient because they're not too heavy, I think, on DSNA, um, unlike some other, I think, data engineering uh, interviews, uh, like I think Netflix is maybe a little more strict. Um, I can also say, say that about Amazon, where it's not necessarily as code heavy for Amazon. It's a little more focused on like database design and, and SQL. So yeah, that, that's kind of the interview process, right? Like it's a standard pass the screen. You'll kind of do your, your data warehouse, ETL, SQL, and Python questions. And uh, yeah, basically in order to kind of practice for that, I, I kind of, uh, I, I put together like guides online, kind of like what I did, but um, for SQL, um, generally I, th I think I was really comfortable at SQL. So at this point, I, I don't spend a ton of time there. Uh, I think there's tons of tools at this point, like interview query or uh, strata scratch that both do a pretty decent job um, at, at kind of aggregating a lot of SQL questions. Coding wise, I think that was just leak code, <laughs> like most other people. Data warehouse design, like I tell most people, you know, read Kimball's uh, data warehouse design uh, book, and then also just sit there and think about like an application that you like and design a data warehouse for that, you know, like DoorDash or something of that nature, because that's, that's kind of what it usually is for that interview round. It's the last, like, you know, design a data warehouse for, again, DoorDash, and you'll have to kind of figure out what the tables are and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, so uh, I actually got to do two, two different interviews um, on a Monday and a fr or Friday and a Monday. So I actually stayed the weekend, but I, I passed one and didn't, didn't get uh, through the other. So that was, that was really lucky in terms of like, they had two different data engineer positions and they're like, well, you're here in California anyways. So uh, why not interview twice? So I, I was, you know, past the first one. And I think, I think like I, I got to the second one and I kind of like, I, I went through the coding round and I kind of already knew I bombed it, but like, for some reason I felt fine about the other one. So I was like, ah, eh, this is fine. <laughs> I, I already feel comfortable about the other one. I'm not, not too worried about this one. So it was very lucky in, in that regard. In, ter in terms of working at Facebook, uh, I worked internally on a lot of like employee facing kind of products and systems. So it was scraping a lot of internal tools that Facebook builds. Facebook builds most of its tools, um, some some third party, but, but mostly pulling data from either internal tools, uh, third party tools. I did a lot of connections in between vendors where we would kind of either be getting data from vendors and pulling it in or pushing it out to them um, so that we could get better analytics kind of internally. But it really was mostly focused on internal analytics versus like external focus, focus on the apps. So, right, like Facebook is a huge company. There's, they do analytics on just about everything. So I, I did a ton in, in terms of that regard. Uh, did a lot with like SFTPs, APIs, and things of that nature. 
what was your experience working with individuals who maybe had a limited knowledge of data science or data engineering? And what did you do to allow them to thrive, even if their skills were more on the non-technical side? Yeah, I mean, it's really common that like oftentimes as the technical people, you know, we, we kind of come in and, and we're kind of expected to translate uh, often like either business users or like experts um, kind of knowledge and, and translate it into something, right? So for example, with uh, Health Entic, we were doing a lot of stuff with healthcare. Um, so everything from like dental kind of consultants to like health, like health professionals and, and working with them to understand kind of what what they were looking for and what's valuable to them, I think is, is always very important. So I, I, I think um, in terms of like what we would do, right? Like we, we would just try to translate what they were telling us in terms of like what they do from day to day or what they're looking for. Maybe if they're trying to do like fraud detection or something like that. Um, we were just trying to take that information and translate it to something like SQL or a model. I mean, that, that was, that's, that's kind of what we did from, from our perspective, right? Like we would do our best to figure out what they were telling us and then kind of work on our kind of side of like either developing models and business logic, give them the output, have them kind of work with it, look at it, see if it was actually providing the value that they thought it was supposed to. If it kind of matched up, then we could kind of move forward. And if not, we would kind of try to walk through the data understand kind of, you know, line by line, case by case, like, hey, why did this model, you know, bring up this specific use case? Um, and does it make sense? Does it not make sense? And how do we have to kind of code against or for this kind of edge case? I don't know if that, that's kind of answering your question fully, but um, yeah, that's at least one side of it. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing is, is these days, a lot of people try to push to be technical. So you even like, uh, I find that like when I when I first started, analysts didn't know as much SQL, and nowadays I feel like a lot of analysts know more SQL. So now it's more about kind of coaching a lot of people versus like just doing the work for them. So I, th I think that's been a, a shift in the way that I've operated. Again, a lot a lot in the past it would just be like, hey, get me this data. So I just give people data. Now it's like, hey, I have this query. Can you help me with it? So it's that that's the other kind of shift I've seen recently in terms of like non technical kind of coming a little more technical. So if any of our listeners aren't really familiar, Ben writes a lot about data science and his work experiences on Medium. So Ben, could you talk a little bit about why you decided to start writing on Medium and how that whole experience has been for you? Yeah, um, I mean, so so originally it, it all started out because I was... Um, I started helping a friend kind of... They, they had like a social media kind of analytics company that they were trying to get together. Um, and I, I had a consulting company, they wanted help. So they were like asking me to like help them kind of develop some things, some web scrapers to like scrape social media to kind of gather analytics. Um, so I was kind of doing that work. And as I was doing that, I already had kind of put together blogs in the past. And then I learned about Medium. And then I was like, okay, this is great. You know, I've, I've already have a website. Um, and if I put content here, it pushes to my website. But um, yeah, so, you know, uh, that, that's really why I started putting out content was like, I had a site, I wanted people to come to my site and Medium was one way to, to kind of drive traffic. Um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of what it started as. And, and since then, you know, it's gotten decent traction. Um, obviously, Medium pays a little bit. I, if anyone's out there thinking that Medium will pay a lot, uh, it probably won't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great way to kind of like get your content out there, get your name out there, get something that people can look at kind of see what, who you are and, and what you're working on. Because I think, you know, in this modern world, we kind of have to stick out. Um, and the more you can stick out, the more valuable. As a consultant right now, that's how I get a lot of my leads, I think, is through a lot of my content and just kind of standing out. So, yeah. Yeah. So one thing I noticed about your writing was you have a great ability to break down these complex concepts in a clear and concise manner. 
So have you always been a great writer or has this been a skill that you've developed more recently? Uh, no, I think I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> no, I mean, I, in all honesty, I think I think writing, like when I was 16, uh, I don't know if you have Running Start, but I did Running Start and I did not get in because of my English. In fact, I, well, my English was like, I think I got into like the equivalent of English 100. My math was what got me into kind of Running Start, which is just basically uh, you can do college classes in uh, high school. And you have to either get into high school level English or high school or sorry, college level English or college level math. And so um, technically, I, I did not score high enough on the English side. So I, I think my my writing is, is, is you know, um, not not great, but it, it's something that I do and it's fun. And I, I like it because it's a great way to kind of express what you're thinking and sometimes just work out what you're thinking. Like right now, I'm trying to work out like setting up data stacks and like how to like concisely tell someone like what's the best data stack for them like tooling wise like when you're picking tools and I'm writing through it and kind of making videos through it and, and trying to think through ideas that way because it's like okay what do I think like I sometimes you just don't even th sit down and think about what you think you just kind of do things so I'm like okay let's sit down and actually try to concisely understand what I'm actually saying to people um, and not just say it because I'm it's like dogmatic or something like that. When working as a data engineer at both Healthentic and Facebook, how did you find dealing with data that was from external sources as opposed to directly from the company itself? And how did this impact the data integration and the analytics that was developed? Uh, yeah, I mean, Healthentic basically 100% of our data was external, right? Like we were just pulling it in from different companies. In terms of like how it was in for, for integrations, right? Like there, there are challenges course, because everyone has different data, you're not in control and you're kind of stuck with whatever someone sends you. But that just means you have to spend time QAing it early and upfront, especially if you're kind of expected to put out reports because you want to make sure you get any errors quickly. And if there's a problem, you can talk to your third party source and be like, hey, you know, we need you to fix this data because we know these problems. And um, that, that's something that generally we, we need to do quickly because we don't want to like wait till the end of the month to figure out we have problems and then, you know, have um, a customer tell us that there's problems. So that was, that was, it was general struggle. But I mean, overall, I think once you've gotten in a good flow with a third party vendor, they'd, they'd usually be fine. Um, with Facebook, that, that was more of a mix. Uh, and it would just depend on the company. Uh, just because, you know, everyone has different ways you integrate data um, and even things like SFTP, like how people would send us data would be very drastically different. Like I just made a video where I was kind of talking about the fact that I'm, I learned more about like PGP than I ever wanted to, um, just the different ways you can kind of set up or encrypt data. Um, so you, you are kind of somewhat stuck working with whatever skill set someone else has or whatever tool someone else has externally from you. Also, like pulling from external sources when it's like, for example, like Asana. Uh, I don't know if you know what Asana is. It's just a task management tool. I think its API was developed to be more for application use and not for um, like massive scraping. So like it was just always a, a hassle. So sometimes you just come against an API that was like, yeah, it's, it's meant to almost pick like one specific uh, data point rather than a billion. And you, that's never fun. Um, internally, yeah, I think internally it was fine. Sometimes it was messy because if you're working with more like free text data, that was sometimes a problem, but that's always going to be a problem. Um, you know, something like how you delimit data can can cause issues. But, but overall, I think we had a lot of ways of just kind of um, abstracting how we pulled things. And, and you could just basically say, hey, pull from this, this entity. Because um, 
Facebook has done a really good job at kind of centralizing a lot of its development. So everything kind of operates very similarly, although teams might implement their kind of solutions differently. It's all kind of based off the same systems or solutions. So you can kind of um, pull data from, from using similar methods, regardless kind of on the team. Yeah, actually, after hearing some of your previous answers, I guess like the data that you used at Healthentic and Facebook were kind of polar opposites, right? Because Healthentic was 100% externally and then Facebook was mostly internal, right? Uh, I think Facebook was like 80% internal, 20% external. Um, there, there's plenty of like, you know, data that gets created through, um, you know, if, if you uh, work with some sort of third party, like let's say for moving people around even like, like cause if, if you go with Facebook or if you get a job at Facebook, you know, you'll, you'll likely get moved to the place. I mean, maybe not now with remote work, but you know, back, back when I started, right. Like I moved and they, they went through a third party company that helped us move and do all of that. So there might, there might be some wanting to track that data. So, so yeah, there's, there's sometimes like some third parties like that, where it's like, yeah, you might want that data. Um, and you have to kind of figure out how to pull it in. So how has the experience been running your own data science consulting company? And initially when you started it, you were also working at Facebook. So did you find it difficult to manage both those responsibilities? Uh, I, I actually had um, this consulting company prior to, to starting at Facebook. I started it almost at my first job, like a director um, who's like a temporary director come in and he asked me to do some consulting with him. And I, I obviously set up a consulting company just because of like, you know, trying to set set up uh, taxes and things of that nature, just since I was going to get another source of income. So, so it wasn't um, that difficult. Like as soon as I joined Facebook, I like told my manager, I'm like, Hey, I actually already had a project that I was working on. So I was like, Hey, I got this project. I'm working on this. And it, it was fine. Um, I think towards the end, I got a little busy. Uh, I think data engineering consulting in general has kind of exploded. So I think towards the end, it got a little more difficult. And I, I think, you know, I, I started just focusing more on consulting and then that's kind of what drew me, like kind of helped me make the decision to kind of leave Facebook is just like, you know, I was realizing I'm spending my time consulting. This is what I'm finding interesting right now. I, I'd like to kind of, you know, pursue this further. So that's, that's kind of, um, it, it was easy until it wasn't. Um, and then after that, it was almost easy because I realized, you know, um, my, my journey at Facebook had kind of come to an end and, you know, now, now it's time for a new thing. So yeah, I just readjusted my focus and, and kind of reprioritized after that. So in, in some ways it was hard, hard to juggle once, once, it, once projects got bigger. So I, I think when I first started projects were, you know, you know, a few extra thousand dollars here and there a month, which is great. But obviously, you know, when you're making Facebook <laughs> levels of money, it's like, it's nice, but you know, it's, it's not going to pay my bills, especially living in the Bay. But towards the end there, it just started getting to the point where it was competing both with time, you know, um, my, my investment personally and all that. So yeah, it was like either tried to get a promotion at Facebook or try to make consulting work. So yeah, that's where I kind of got to. And could you maybe talk a little bit more about all the different services your consulting company offers? Yeah. I mean, so right, right now my, my core focus is definitely focused around like data engineering in particular, and like maybe some data viz and analytics, um, just because so many companies these days, need to like set up their data infrastructure correctly. Um, I don't know if you watched Ken G's video um, on, he he recently broke down kind of like why data engineering has kind of become so popular, which I, I, I kind of do agree with, which is the fact that a lot of companies ran towards data science without setting up a lot of their baseline data infrastructure. So I think a lot of companies are now finding that, you know, companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google, et cetera, Netflix, all built their data infrastructure first, right? Like they had some core infrastructure component that's kind of enabling them to manage everything. 
um, right? Like everything from the fact that Facebook built Hive and, and uh, Presto, um, as well as like Data Swarm, which is basically Airflow and a lot of these other tools um, help them kind of manage their data. Um, and then on top of that, then they do the, all their their data science. So that, that's a lot of what I focus on. It's like really setting up those kind of core areas like data ingestion, data storage, data modeling, some analytics, and, and just getting people to that, that point where they can start trusting their data. They know they have reliable data. They can pull it into one central kind of place for reporting and they can, can start, you know, producing those, those basic um, outputs that I think a lot of people are struggling right now um, to even do basic counts. Um, I was talking to a client today where they were like, they, they weren't sure um, how much business was coming from e-commerce versus how much was coming from like direct sales. So, you know, a lot of even those questions for, for big companies um, can be hard um, just because data is getting more complex. Um, so in a weird way, the more complex, the more sources um, that come in, the, the more you need solid infrastructure. So it was fine to kind of like get away with like just passable data infrastructure 10 years ago. But now we're just living in a world where it's like even a small $10 million company has multiple data sources that cannot be managed through, you know, some like patchwork system of cron jobs or just some like Excel sheets that you're kind of pulling. So yeah, I think that's kind of my, my big focus for, for this next few years. And um, if, sometimes there's some data science in there, which is great, but it's um, definitely not what I'm targeting anymore, just because I, I think there's a much bigger pie in terms of like data engineering consulting work. Yeah. And so the companies that you typically work with, are they more like large scale companies or smaller sort of startups? And also, do they have uh, data engineering or data science solutions already built in? Or do they bring you in to, you know, sort of build that infrastructure, uh, build that base so they can build off of that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a pretty broad mix. Um so I'm, I'm working with some companies that are like in the few hundred million dollar range um, to the billion dollar range. And um, some people are just getting up their, their data stacks now. Others are already had a data stack kind of set up or something that was set up, you know, seven years ago. And the people who originally set up left. Um, so they need someone to kind of come in and uh, migrate it and modernize it. So, yeah, it, it's pretty broad in terms of the range of like who I'm, I'm serving, um, just because again, every, even, even billion dollar companies um, are finding themselves needing to modernize uh, just because again, it, it's more about like the, the sheer, like not just volume, like that, that's one problem that's pretty easy to solve by, you know, using uh, modern data warehousing technologies, but like just the sheer like variety um, and where all these data is coming from is almost a bigger problem because, you know, again, you can manually manage so many data pipelines and then you come to a point where it's like, okay, we need to like fully automate this, figure out a way to reduce code because code equates to um, more overhead. And, you know, if your budget only allows you to have one engineer to manage all of this, they can't manage all of it through custom code. So yeah, so yeah, it's pretty broad. Um, and it's, it's been really fun kind of seeing the different ways people have implemented systems. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say I target one specific uh, like size company over the other. So when companies are hiring, do you think they should focus on developing their data engineering team first before bringing on more data scientists so that the data engineers can lay a solid foundation and create a good infrastructure, which the data scientists can later build off of? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, you know, overall, you know, th- there's probably like some sort of like stagger start to it all, right? Like maybe hire someone that's uh, more of a senior level kind of data engineer or someone that understands data infrastructure um, early on. And then, yeah, maybe in like a month or two, then then you can hire that data scientist just because either way, you know, you, you kind of do want them communicating to each other a little bit, but obviously, you know, your data engineer needs to get somewhat situated, figure out what's going on. And during that period of time, if you've got a data scientist, uh, they're not really going to be doing much. And in general, if your data infrastructure is not set up in the first place, you probably can get away with like an analyst to start with, right? Like that, like getting basic analytics out is probably more valuable and probably what you're going to end up asking the data scientist to do anyways, if you don't already have that out. So it also depends on what you're kind of putting out there. Um, I don't know, uh, in my most recent video, I I was, uh, I brought up a chart from um, Taylor Brownlow of Count. And uh, she she's put together this, this chart for like, analytical maturity and kind of like who to hire. And I think it was, it just, it's just a good concise way of kind of communicating that, that what I'm trying to say, which is like, as time kind of goes on, you start realizing who you need to hire. So like maybe you're starting early on, you know, you've got like an analyst and like a dev, not even a data engineer, right? Like just a dev who's doing like the work and maybe they just kind of do some manual Excel polls for this one analyst. Uh, maybe later on, then you get a data engineer who kind of tries to centralize and, and bring in all this data and with their analyst. Then maybe on, later on, you kind of bring in like, you know, an analyst and a data scientist and a data engineer. And then maybe finally, you know, if you've got a big enough company and a budget, you've got like a data engineer, an analytics engineer, a data analyst and a data scientist, and they're all kind of doing their own things. And it's it's more about, right, each company is kind of their own thing, but yeah, I think I think as you grow, you'll you'll figure out what needs to get answered. Like data scientists does not need have, doesn't have to be the first way of driving value. There's a lot of low hanging fruit that a lot of companies need first. So yeah, how do you see the data science field evolving in the future, and what areas do you hope to see the most growth in? Yeah, I, I think the area I'd like to see the most growth in is like as weird as this might sound is like onboarding um, in terms of like actually creating some sort of platform for growth for, for younger data scientists. I think one advantage I often noticed at companies like Facebook or Netflix or any of these larger tech companies is they have a platform for growth. Like they have a clear kind of process in place, which I think makes it much easier if you're new to figure out what value is. Because I think, you know, when you first come out of, of college, you don't really necessarily know what is valuable to do. I think, I think you're, you're just figuring that out. Like you, you don't know how to drive value in a business and having someone more senior can help. I like the first project I ever did with more of like a data science twinge to it was like, I was kind of given a data set for like, it was like, I was working in a hospital. I was given a data set from credit card information. I was given like kind of how it tied to patient data. And I was just told to find value, like literally like just find some value in this data set. And it's not to say that you can't find it, but it, it's like such an ambiguous request that especially when you're early on um, can probably like you might go down the right road, but you might not. And, um, you know, not not having some clear like idea of what a process is like at this point, you know, I think I have a little more clear of a process when even when I'm doing like an analysis, like, okay, how do I actually approach this to make sure that I actually end up somewhere at the end, not just, you know going down an infinite road of question after question. So yeah, I think that's kind of a weakness that data science has. It's not as, I think it's starting to forge more as a discipline in itself, but I think it's kind of missing that. Like data engineering is kind of a little more closely attached to software engineering, or at least in some regards. So I think we have a clear kind of discipline on like how to process and how to do things. And that's a little more you know, step-by-step and data science, I don't think always does depending on the company. You know, I know, I know plenty of companies that like 
they hire, you know, they, they're just hiring the first few data scientists and they're like a master student. And that master student, right, if it's their first job, is going to need to now figure out a lot more than just the data science work. They now need to figure out, okay, but how do I drive business value, which is a, you know, it takes time to do that. And if you want to kind of ramp that up faster, you know, having some sort of senior data scientist or someone that can understand what it means to drive value um, is, is super helpful. And having a process in place so that they come in ready to go, I think is where you can drive a lot of value. What is some advice you would give to aspiring data scientists or data engineers? I think, I think obviously it depends on, on the angle. Like some advice that I'd give is uh, <laughs> never, never fully trust data. Uh, I think that's always something I, I, I learned multiple times is like, I always assumed that, you know, someone would tell me, oh, this is the source of truth or something. And then lo and behold, it wasn't. So that's always some advice I give people. Um, I also always tell people to um, version control your SQL because someone will ask you to do something again um, using that same SQL. It's really easy just to kind of like write some SQL, save it off with some default name and then not remember where you put it. Uh, I, th- I think I did that a few times starting out until I, I bit me too many times. Oh, the other, the other bit of advice I always tell people is like, don't focus so much on the hype, right? Like there's always new tools. There's always new um, best practices and, and focus really on the fundamentals when you start out, um, right? Like with, for data science statistics, you know, experimentation, um, things of that nature for data engineering, it's, you know, programming, SQL, data modeling, um, because everything else will be built off top of that, right? DBT, which is kind of like a new popular tool kind of in the analytical engineering, data engineering space, when you when you look at it, it comes down to like Docker, SQL, some data modeling, and just some really pretty base concepts. All that, you know, if you have those, that base knowledge can be picked up very quickly. So that's usually what I tell people is like, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of shiny things. Um, if you focus on the basics, you know, you can build quickly onto those shiny things. Um, so, so don't, don't worry. Don't, don't rush. There's plenty of time. There's plenty of, plenty of problems at all levels that, that we're still trying to solve. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, Ben. I loved hearing about your unique journey in data science, your work at HealthAntic and Facebook, and your data science consulting work. If you like this podcast, be sure to follow us and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts, and stay tuned for more Data Dive podcast episodes like this one. Yeah, thanks so much, Abraham. It was great.